Welcome, and thank you for listening to this audio sermon from Lighthouse Baptist Church. For more information about our ministry, go to lbccincy.com. And now for the message from Pastor Nathan Lang. James chapter 4. I'd like you to get there and I'll begin reading. The Bible says, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lusts that war in your members? Ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Now I'm going to stop there just for a moment. <clears throat> and that is another one of the most taken out of context verses in all of Scripture. And uh, people just use that very flippantly. You have not because you ask not, you know. Um, and, and it's true, uh, but, uh, but to, we'll talk more about that in a little bit. But verse number three, ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your lusts. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do ye think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Let's pray. Now, Lord, as we open up the scriptures tonight and as we're uh, prepared to go down verse by verse, I ask that you would show us what you want us to know. Lord, help us to apply it today. It's, it's not just enough to just receive information. Help us to apply it and uh, leave here uh, a changed people because of the word. We love you tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so the last two weeks, uh, we saw that real faith works by controlling the tongue. And we, we were in chapter 3 and how, how important that is. And, and, and we had several different things that the tongue was compared to. A rudder, a fire. Um, and, uh, and, and so, uh, so there's some things in there that talks about our tongue and, and what it is and, and how we need, to, uh, we need to seek the Lord in that. And so, so that's what we talked about the past two weeks in chapter 3. But tonight, uh, we're going to see that real faith works by submitting to God's will. Real faith works by submitting to God's will. And that's what we're talking about tonight. You know, conflict, it's a part of everyday life. And it comes in all, all sorts of con, uh, contexts. Uh, it might blow up at home or at work with friends or strangers. Uh, and it can take various forms. Uh, there, there's, there's the conflict that, that, that's uh, very obvious falling out. And then there's some that, that's not so obvious. And, uh, and you don't see it and you don't, you don't know what's going on. There's all kinds of different conflict, uh, unspoken animosity that, that can exist for years. Uh, under the veneer of friendship or even marriage, uh, and there's conflict that hurts and, and scars deeply. And so, so conflict happens, and it's a part, it's really a part of our everyday lives. There's conflict going on, um, but it doesn't have to be. Can I say that? We don't have to live our lives going through conflict. Uh, you know, some people carry the bruising uh, because of wounds that they've received, and others carry guilt because of the damage that they know that they've done to others. And so conflict is there. Conflict is an issue. And conflict does not cease at the door of the church. Can I say that? Um, we, we must understand this today. Uh, it, it, it grieves my heart when people come into the church and they expect the church family to be perfect. Uh, the reality is none of us are perfect. And, uh, you know, there's, there's always a couple ways to look at this. There's always a couple sides to the coin. Uh, none of us in this room are perfect. But let me say this. Don't use that as an occasion to live in sin. Don't use that as an occasion to do what you want because, hey, we're just all sinners anyway. No, you know, this world expects God's people to be different. 
And can I say that there should be a clear difference? And, and, and in James, we find this so many times. Uh, faith without works is dead. The fact that we are not working to get to heaven, but we are trying to uh, live for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so conflict happens even at the church. The battles that are at uh, part of life in the world can sadly just as easily be part of the church in, in the church life. And uh, any two individuals having the potential for conflict, when you've got two people, you've got the potential for conflict, unfortunately. Uh, and so conflict in the church, uh, you know, sometimes you can't see it. And uh, people, people just get real good about hiding their sin. People get real good about hiding their conflict and, and what's going on. You know, at most funerals that I preach, I, I bring up the fact that a lot of people... A lot of families, there's always turmoil and there's always conflict. And I urge them and encourage them, during this time, your hearts are tender. Get it right. Don't live your life with a bunch of conflict and a bunch of issues. Uh, You don't have to. You don't need to. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, Christians do not commonly, uh, you know, put up their fist and fight and, and, and go that direction. That's usually not what you see. They, they don't need to. James has already shown us that, that we carry in our mouths a weapon far more destructive than we could ever do with our fists. And, and you know what it is, don't you? It's our mouths. It's our lips. That you can do more damage in two minutes with your mouth than you can do in two weeks fighting, fist fighting. You just really can. Uh, and and that's, a part, that's a big problem. And, and, but let me say this. Don't allow it to be a problem in the church. Don't allow it to be a problem in your home. The new Christian might be shocked by the conflict uh, that can be part of the, uh, of the church life. And, the, and, and they're right to be. You know, new Christians come in and they see, they think, wow, I thought all y'all were perfect. It's like, hey, well, let me, uh, usually I'm, I'm one of the first to tell new Christians, hey, you know what? Um, you, know, uh, you know, it's not the love boat. You know, my pastor, uh, my, my wife's pastor, Brother Fox, he said, when I got saved, he said, I thought I was stepping onto the love boat. He said, I thought everybody was going to love me. I thought everybody was uh, in all that. And he said, I found out that that's not the case at all. And, and it's true. Uh, but I want us to see the cause of conflict. James begins by asking uh, another of his penetrating questions. What causes fights and quarrels among you? In verse number one, hey, what is it that causes this? From whence come wars and fightings among you? Where does this come from? And he invites his readers to cast their minds uh, back to uh, some, some recent conflict. What happened? Why did it take place? Is there, is there a, a conflict that seems to keep reoccurring? And why does it keep reoccurring? What is going on? And when we think of times when things have, have flared up with someone else, our instinct often is to answer James's question in a particular way. What is the cause of the fight or quarrel with the other party? What is the cause? And you know what we usually respond with? It's them. It's their fault. You notice how it's usually never our fault it's it's usually it's it's usually, it's it's not. I remember when uh, it, when I was in when I was in public school, I got into some fights, and and when I got into a fight, it was because someone put their hands on me. I never put my hands on anybody, but that was the unpardonable sin for me. If you put your hands on me, then I'm throwing up, and we are going to town, and I don't stop until you're on the ground. That's that was my mentality. That's the way I was raised, and uh, and uh, and I remember getting into a getting into a fight with this kid, and we went there, and he he put his hands on me, and he wouldn't admit it. We got to the principal's office, and sure enough, I was in fifth grade. And I remember him turning it to me. Uh, It wasn't me. It was him. I said, you, I'm going to bust you up right here in front of this principal. You mean, oh, it made me so mad. I remember the first time I got into a car wreck. It wasn't my fault. I was in, I was in fair, I was in Marymount coming. If you come down, uh, I believe it's uh, Plainfield there and where where they used to have the old IGA and Walgreens down there. Now it's all different, but you come down, there's a six way stop there. 
And, uh, and I was coming through, and I was coming through the, I was 16 years old, just got my license. I was coming through in my pickup truck. I missed my pickup truck. And, uh, and this woman plowed in the side of me, and she got out, and she was apologizing. I'm so sorry. I went right through the stop sign, and she was apologizing. But you know what happened? As soon as that, those lights came up, the police officer got there. It was his fault. I said, I'm going to beat your little eight. No, <laughs> you're 80 year old. I'm going to beat you right now. I tell you what, I was so upset. There was some conflict going on. And the, and the police officer saw that he had almost cleared the intersection. It was your fault, ma'am. You're lying. And she got, you know, the citation and all of that. But you know what? There's conflict. Conflict comes up, but we've got to learn how to deal with it. And here's the thing. We need to fess up. We need to own up. When it's our fault, when it's our dealing, we need to learn to say, you know what? I'm the one. I'm the one. And we're going to dig deep into this tonight, so hang on uh, but, uh, <coughs> uh, with this. But, uh, uh, but uh, you know, James invites us to cast our minds back to, to some recent conflict and what happened, you know, within the situation. Uh, you know, it goes back to us. It's, it's us. It's us. And that's what he's talking about here in this chapter. Uh, and you know, what we do is we, we, uh, the answer seems to be it's somebody else's fault. I didn't do it. Uh, you know, it was, it was my upbringing, all that stuff. But, uh, but, uh, but uh, you know, much, much that we might, as much as we might want to, James won't let us answer the question in this way. The issue is not everybody else. It's us. You know that song, it's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. And the reality is, we've got to realize that. If you, if you try, I just led somebody to the Lord last week in their home, and uh, my wife and I were out door knocking, and I got to lead somebody to the Lord. And, and, um, and this, this person, um, I told them, I said, if, 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 if you don't get to the point where you see you're a sinner, I'm never going to be able to go past that point. Because if they don't see themselves as a lost sinner, there's no point. And so they had, what I was saying was, you have to fess up that you're a sinner, that you've done wrong in this life. And that's, what we, and that's what we had to do. And let me say this, even though we're, we're, we're washed in the blood of Jesus Christ and we're saved, we're separated, all that stuff, the reality is we still have to confess uh, and, and fess up when we've done wrong. But James, is, James you know, uh, the issue is, is us. It's inward. James had, had, uh, has uh, had the point to, to, to where uh, he saw the true nature of the hearts already. And uh, it's from the evil desires of our own hearts that temptation comes. The Bible says in James chapter 1 and verse 14, from the evil desires of our own hearts. And uh, it's, it's the state of our own heart that, that, that is reflected in the godless speech that often uh, character, characterizes uh, what we say. And uh, it comes from the heart. It's what's inside. It's going to come out. What's on the inside, uh, it will come out under the right circumstance. What you're thinking, what's on your heart, it's going to be, uh, it's manifested and it's going to show. Uh, so it's no surprise then that James would point uh, to these same desires in order to get to the root of the conflict. Our fights and quarrels stem from our desires that battle within us. That's where it comes from. It's from the inside of us. When we have a fight, when we have pride swelled up, when we have issues with people, it's from what's on the inside that is revealing itself on the outside. That's what's happening. So conflict comes because our own selfish desires are not being met. You might want to write that down if you take notes. Conflict comes because our own selfish desires are not being met. James uses some strong language, and we might think uh, uh, that he's being over the top. After all, uh, we don't literally kill one another, do we? As he said in this text. But as James' older brother Jesus once pointed out in Matthew chapter 5, uh, we do not need to kill in order to commit a form of murder. And uh, when you've thought it in your heart, you've committed it. You've committed it. 
So to understand conflict, we need to understand that desires uh, jostling within us that are, that, that are being frustrated. And it might be the desire that, that, uh, that uh, status that, that leads us uh, you know, to go for positions of influence. And, and, and that, that can cause conflict. Hey, I should have had this position. I should have been here. I shouldn't have been treated this way. And you know what? Those, those can cause conflict. And what's on the inside is going to come out. And so bitterness is nurtured over months and years. Bitterness is stored up. I talked about that last Sunday, two Sundays ago. Uh, or it could be the, the desire to protect ourselves from criticism that causes us to lash out uh, at others. And, uh, you know, that, that's, that's a thing. And, uh, but but, but uh, whatever they are, underlying all these selfish desires is lack of proper thinking about God. In my Sunday school class, I hit week after week, week after week, we must have a biblical worldview, not a worldly worldview. And we must see God as He is, and we must take God at face value uh, if, if we're going to do what we need to do and live the lives that He wants us to live. Uh, but Christians allowing these desires to erupt uh, into conflict are, are, are forgetting God's grace. And uh, 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 chapter, chapter 4 here in verse number 2, let's look at it. Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight in war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. You know, prayerlessness is a sign that someone is trying to run things in their own strength. When we choose not to pray, we're saying, God, I can handle this. When we, choose, when we choose not to seek God's face, when we choose not to walk with God, we are saying, I, now you may not audibly say, God, I don't need you, but in essence with your actions, and that's what we're talking about in the book of James is not just what we say we do, but we actually physically do with our actions. And so you can say all day long, uh, I'm going to do this. You, you boys in here, you can say, I'm going to do my homework for tomorrow. You can say it all day long, but until you actually put that pencil or pen to the paper, or you put your fingers to that keyboard, uh, what your words are, are just simply that words and nothing more. <clears throat> and so prayerlessness is a sign that someone is trying to run things in their own strength for their own sake and under their own authority. And that is a dangerous, dangerous place to be. And let me say this, we Christians, we do it often. We do it often. Prayerlessness arises from a sense of independence from God. So that instead of praying about our desires, we indulge them. Rather than trusting in the, the Lord who delights in giving good gifts to His children, we ourselves decide that what is good and we seek to gain it through our own efforts. As well as forgetting the grace of God, James's readers also forget the goodness of God. And what is he saying? What he is saying, when you ask you do not receive because, in verse, in verse number two is where we're at. He's saying when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives. That you may spend what you get on your own self. In verse number three. Can I say this? That God is pure. His eyes are pure. The Bible says in Habakkuk 1.13 that his eyes are too pure to look on evil. But James rebukes his readers for only turning to God so that he can rubber stamp their own agenda rather than submitting to his. And that's what I'm trying to say, uh, as, as, I, as I mentioned to you back uh, at the very beginning of this message, and that is uh, we are looking uh, tonight that we, are, uh, we see real faith uh, it works by submitting to God's will and not trying to make God fit our agenda. 
But James rebukes his readers for only turning to God so that they can, he can do what they want him to do. And, uh, and this is a huge misunderstanding of what prayer is. Uh, think about the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9. We're not going to turn there tonight. But when Jesus told his disciples to pray, he pointed them to prayer uh, for God's concerns, his name, his kingdom, his will, before his own of provision and, and pardon and protection. But, but uh, uh, the purpose of prayer is not to try to get God to do what we want. It is actually a means of which we align ourselves to his priorities. Did you get that tonight? Prayer is not about getting what we want. It is a means to align us with his priority. Nevertheless, my will, but thy will be done. You ever go to God in prayer and not know what what to ask for? You ever go to God in prayer and say, Lord, this is what I think needs to be done, but I'm not totally sure? Point of the, <coughs> excuse me, part of the point of prayer is to remind ourselves of what God wants. Write that down. A part of the point of prayer is to remind ourselves of what God wants. You know, it's, it's so easy to say, God, this is my command list. Here's ten things of how I'm going to be a better me if you could make all of these happen by tonight. <laughs> In verse number two, he said, Ye lust and ye have not, ye kill and desire to have and ye cannot obtain. Ye fight in war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. So what he's saying here is this, you desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You, you covet, but you cannot get, you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. That's what verse two is saying in a nutshell, broken down. But for many of the readers here in the book of James, prayer seems to have been a means of co-opting God. And that's what he's talking about here. You're not co-opting God. You're not getting God involved on your agenda. You're getting in tune with His agenda. You're getting in tune. I'm getting in tune with His plans. Of using Him to further... uh, And what they're doing in here is they're using God to further their own purposes. Uh, Little wonder then uh, that when they did not receive the things they prayed for, uh, it's amazing. Why didn't they receive the things they prayed for? Because they're praying for what they want, their desires, their lusts. They're they're praying for what they can get out of life. It has nothing to do with God's kingdom. It has nothing to do with bettering uh, what God wants. It has nothing to do with being in tune with God's will. It's all about, I want this brand new car. I want this house. I want this spouse. I want this child. I want this. I want, I want, I want. Instead of God, what do you want? God, the answer is yes. Now, what is the question? God, I'm in line with whatever you need me to do. I'm here. I'm ready. Now, you use me. You know, whatever happened to prayer like that? You know, maybe I was just a, na- a naive little boy, but when I was, uh, when I was 16, I-, I surrendered to come to church every time the doors were open. When I turned 18 years old, I surrendered at the Hoosier Hills Baptist camp under the preaching that night of Dr. Eric Capace, of uh, uh, Dr. Uh, Gibbs, and uh, uh, um, uh, John Jenkins was preaching that week, and I just surrendered it all on that altar, and this is, was my desire. I didn't say, God, I'm going to serve you as long as you make me a pastor and give me a wife and children and all this stuff. You know what I said? God, my life is yours. I'm clearing the slate. You tell me what to do. I'm yours. Remember, we talked last week about surrendering to Him. Lord, it's all yours. I'm surrendered. When we are fully and utterly surrendered to God, there's no telling what He can do with us. But you know what? We like to hang on to what we want and what we feel we, should, we deserve. 
Getting God on board with what you want and not the other way around. That's what I'm talking about. Don't raise your hand, but all are you guilty of that? I'll tell you what, I've been guilty of that in my life. I'll just be honest. And we all would have to be honest and say we've all done that. This is what I expect, God. Now you make it happen. Nope. Nope. You know what we do? We turn God into a divine waiter. He's there to deliver our daydream to us. We touch base with Him on a Sunday. We put our our order in via prayer. We might give a decent tip in the collection plate. But God is essentially there to give us what we feel we need. And we get furious with Him if He doesn't deliver. God, I'm waiting. (laughs) Brother David, when I was was at Shawnee, I, I could have finished in three years. I had all the credits I needed. I, I doubled, I mean, I didn't double, excuse me, I didn't, I didn't double down, but I took a lot of extra credits each semester. And uh, my wife, had, she graduated a year before me. And so I could have technically finished in three years instead of the four. But God had other plans. And I remember going to Brother Lonnie saying, hey, you know what? I just need like four credits. Can I just take these and, and be done? And he said, Nathan, you need to slow down. You need to slow down. He said, just wait, do your last semester. And you'll be done and it'll be, all, and it'll be all good. But you know what? <clears throat> I didn't want to wait. I wanted to do it my timing. But as I look at my life and I see everything that has transpired since then. And I just see uh, different thing after different thing just put in place properly. Didn't have to force anything. I've learned, I've learned in life, if you've got to force it, it's not, probably not God's will. And I say probably not because I'm not the say of what God's will is for your life. When we allow the desires of our own hearts to grow unchecked, the result is a lack of answers to prayer. Either because we become the the engrossed in in achieving our goals by by our own means and so do not come to God in prayer at all, or because we we, we come to God treating Him as the means to our own ends and, and therefore praying with ungodly motives and intentions. If you don't see many answers to prayers, maybe the problem is with your prayers. You ever think about that? Oh, it's always God's fault. He wasn't there for you. He didn't answer your prayer. It's God's fault. (laughs) There's an evangelist who, every time you'd ask him how he was doing, he'd say, oh, you know how God is. He uses you up and leaves you in the gutter. (laughs) Maybe the problem is us. You ever think about that? Well, let me be very clear tonight. The problem is not with God. I can assure you that. The key to living authentically as Christians is to think rightly about God. Once again, James is showing us that the key to living authentically as Christians is to think right about the way God thinks. And the presence of conflicts between Christians is a sign that God's grace and goodness are not at the forefront of His people's thinking. You know, we're quick to go to the negative, aren't we? We are. By, by, by human nature, we're, we're quick. Um, how many of you know somebody who, whether Jew or not, but you know somebody who is a worrier? They just naturally worry. My mom is, is a worrier. I mean, I'm telling you what, if I tell her I'm going to be there at 8 a.m., if, if I'm not there by 7.59, she's on the phone, where are you? As I'm pulling into the driveway, <laughs> right here. But she's a natural worrier, you know. Uh, so, some of us are geared that way, but you know what? M- many times we tend to think negatively before we start thinking positively. 
That's, that's just usually, that's how, how some of us are geared. That's just how some of us tick or whatever you want to say. Uh, but time and time again, uh, as James addresses the problems being faced uh, by, by, these, by the people uh, he's addressing in James, James turns their attention to what God is like. And this is a reminder to us that real theology, how we understand and think about God is essentially practical. Who we understand God to be shapes the way we live. Write that down. Who we understand God to be shapes the way we live. If God is high and lifted up, if He is almighty, it is going to reflect how you live. If God's your bud, He's your dude next door, then it's going to reflect how you live for God. Far from being a distraction from the day-to-day Christian living, the doctrine of God is the key to it. Without it, it, the church becomes prayerless and joyless and ultimately selfish. The grace and goodness of God that spurs the church not just to pray, but to pray with motivations that honor God. Uh, It is the proper response to selfish desires within our hearts that so easily bring us into conflict. Why is there conflict between you and God? Because you're being selfish. That's why. That's That's what he's saying. There it is. You're selfish. And until we see that, we're never going to... It's always somebody else's fault. It's always God. I'm always the one getting shortchanged. I promise you that's not the case. You've got a selfish heart. And you need to get that right. I feel like you're going to start throwing stuff at me or something. I I can just... Our selfish desires lead to conflict with one another. And they also lead to a more serious conflict, one with God. It's one thing to be mad at another fellow brother and sister in Christ, which is not right. It's another thing to be mad at God. It's another thing to blame God. The conflict between us that shows us we have selfish hearts is also a sign that we have adulterous hearts. Spiritually, we are unfaithful to God. Do you realize that? Just pause to consider the accusation. James is not, not, he's not pulling any punches here. Look in, look in verse number four. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Now we're going to explain this verse because there's a lot of people that think that unless you're Amish and you are completely isolated from the world, then you're wrong and you're not right with God. We are to be in the world, but not of the world. That means, you know what? Uh, I can live, I can go about a normal day, but that doesn't mean that I'm participating in the filth and the garbage that goes on. There's a difference there. Don't don't barricade yourself in your basement and be one of these doom and gloom people uh, that says the sky is falling and, you know, Armageddon's going to happen. And so you you sit down in your your, your basement all day watching the movie Armageddon, scared scared of what's going to happen. The thought here is powerful. In chapter 4 and verse number 4. We're to think of the horror of a husband or a wife discovering their spouse in the midst of an affair. I don't don't read much of the the tabloids, but there was this... this, uh, it was a tabloid yesterday, and this, this husband found out that his wife had, had an, he, he actually had a, a health issue, and he went to the doctor, and they said, you've got a condition where you could never have kids from birth. You could never have kids. Well, he had three kids. 
He got test results, found out his wife cheated on him and had three kids by a different man. Whoa. Could you imagine the, the hurt in your life if you found something like that out? Could you imagine the, the, the damage that could be done? Can I say this, that I've had to counsel people where, <laughs> where how do you do that? You counsel somebody, oh yeah, I found out that my dad's not my dad, my mom's not my mom, whatever. I mean, I'm telling you what, that, that, will, that will knock your socks off. I was raised by somebody else to be my parents, but they weren't my parents. James says that this, this horrendous behavior describes what Christians do when they turn their back on God. Did you realize that? I'm trying to draw you in here to see how serious it is. What did he say? Was that my words or were that his words in verse 4? Ye adulterers and adulteresses. The marital relationship is not original to James. The Old Testament commonly speaks of God coming to his people as a husband comes to his bride and his people responding in unfaithfulness to him. Christians two-time God when we adopt the values of the world. You're cheating on God. You ever think of that? James has shown us that if we look inside ourselves, we see selfish hearts. This is true of the whole world. Uh, the default setting for all people is to live with themselves at the, as the center. That's the default. All right now, God, I'm taking my sabbatical. It's my time now. You don't have the privilege of a sabbatical from God. Amen. You don't have the right to cheat on God with the world. I know it's weird to think of it this way, but th this is what the Scripture is saying. Ever since the first sin of Adam and Eve in the garden, this is what comes naturally to us. It's the very mentality for which we need forgiveness. It pushes God from His rightful place. When Christians adopt this mindset, they're figuratively climbing back into bed with the world. It is not friendship with people in the world that's wrong, but friendship with the values of the world that are wrong. Look at me now, church, because I do not want us to miss this. It is not friendship with the people of the world that is wrong. It is the values of the world, friendship that is wrong. We've got to get that because for years I've seen it, I've seen it, I've seen it, I've seen it over and over again. You can't hang around with those people. They're worldly. Well, I understand you've got to have a balance and you've got, to, you've got to use that. But realizing this, that it's not those people that you're necessarily supposed to stay away from as much as the value system. Now, if you, if you, you can be around people that are bad and who's, and you know what? Stay away from them if they're going to influence you to do bad things. You go around them to try to influence them with the gospel. And if they're not having any of it, then you go to the next person. You don't set up camp for 20 years. I've had people, I can't tell you how many times this happened. I'll ask about people's family members and they'll ask me to pray for them that they'd get saved. And this has nothing to do with you, Christy, because I know you lifted up family members. And, and I'll say, well, hey, can I go visit them? Oh, no, 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 no. I, I don't want you to hurt them or whatever. And I'm like, what do you mean hurt them? I want to, you said they need to get saved. Well, let me go give them the gospel. Isn't that what they need? Well, they might get offended. That's right, because they're lost. They don't have the Holy Spirit living inside them. They may get offended, but I tell you what, they're going to be even more offended at you when they look their, up their eyes from hell saying, why didn't you tell me? Amen. It's not friendship with people in the world that's wrong. Friendship with values of the world. And God takes it personally. Just like a husband who finds his wife back in bed with the person she was dating before they had come together. Such a husband would have every right to be angry 
And James is very clear that being unfaithful to God provokes God's enmity. Most people experience some form of opposition in their lives. uh, And it might be the competitive colleague at work, uh, uh, you know, trying to get the boss's approval or the promotion, uh, whatever the case is, uh, whom there's been a falling out or even as serious as as another person intent uh, on causing uh, some harm or pain to you or someone else. uh, And opposition in any form uh, is an awful reality. But James raises uh, the subject of something far more horrifying, provoking the opposition of God himself. Our selfish desires point to an unfaithful, unfaithfulness to God, which puts us on a collision course with him. Are you faithful to God? James gives us a simple equation. Friendship with the world equals enmity with God in verse number four. In other words, the health of our relationship with God is quickly established by examining the desires in our hearts. Are they godly or are they worldly? Do we chase the things the world chases or are our deepest desires for the things of God, His reputation, the good of His people, the service of others? Are you more comfortable around the crowd that is cussing and, 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 and tearing down church? Or are you, and just because you're a Christian and just because you go to a church does not mean that you're a Christian. Just because you wear that C on your chest that, that stands for Christian doesn't mean you are one. You know, there's a lot of scoffers and there's a lot of wolves that step foot in churches. For the intent and purposes to tear and and, and wreak havoc. How do you know that? First, the Bible talks about it. Secondly, I've had to run out more of my fair share of them out of here. I've had had men come in here and they told me I'm here to look for a wife. I said, get out now. Get out. You're not praying. P-R-E-Y. I preached the message called Pray to Satan. P-R-E-Y. One time. I said, you're not praying on this congregation. This is your last service here. Thank you for coming. Goodbye. I've had to do that quite a few times in the past 10 years. But you know what? That's also part of my job is to run that type of people off. They're just here for those type of reasons. So, verse number five Do you think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? You know, the Bible says that God is a jealous God. James is using marital imagery. He's, He's jealous for us in the same way a jilted husband is jealous for his wife. God is deserving of our all. He deserves our best. He deserves all of us, not part of us, not a portion of us. He deserves all of us. The concern and longing is that those who have wondered would return the state of unfaithfulness that some of James's readers and perhaps some of us right now have got themselves into uh, needs to end. It is time for those who have been captured by the values and priorities of the world to come back to their God. If it, what is it? What is it that's getting your attention in this world? You know, it's it's very. I've 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 I've, a few of my preacher friends. They said, you know, you know, Nathan. uh, It seems like it seems like we're the only ones who are doing right. Let me say, I said, I said, first of all, uh, you got to get that out of your head right now. You may feel like you're the only one who's doing what's right, living by the stuff. Hey, staying to the true word of God, staying with the, the right doctrine. You may feel like you're the only one, but I promise you, you're not. 
You're not the only one. You know, and, and uh, next month we're going to have our youth rally here. And you know what part of that youth rally is about? It is because there's not very many in Cincinnati anymore. Uh, part of what this youth rally is about is to show all these teenagers that there are other teenagers that are still trying to do right. They're not the only one. And that's really a large part of where my heart is in putting that on. We'd, our church does it. We, it costs our church money to put that on each year. Not a lot, but it does. It costs our church. Uh, you say, oh, so why do it? Because I, I want to, first, I wanna, want them to get saved if they're not. But the thing is, hey, you know what? You can still have a good time and not have to go to a billiards hall. You can still, and I've been to them when I was growing up. I know what they're like. You can still have a good time and not go to the bar. I know what it's like. I grew up in them. My parents worked at them. You can still have a good time without getting, getting into the world's philosophy. I've learned this. A lot of folks who are living away from God, they look like they're having a good time, and some of them really are. But you know what? They wake up the next morning with their, with their hangover. They wake up the next morning with their problems, and they're not happy. The Bible says it's impossible for them to be. What's even worse, what James is saying here in chapter 4, what's even worse is the Christian the Christian who wants to live and do what, wants to have their cake and eat it too. They want to live and enjoy everything the world has to offer and still put their foot in the church. It's sad. It's sad. James wants us to acknowledge our guilt before God. I'm wrapping up here. He wants us to acknowledge our guilt. The conflicts we experience within the community of his people indicate that selfish desires are lying at the heart of our, not just ours, but of our churches. You know, our theme this year, you can see it on our bulletin, our theme this year, what it's all about, is as the Damascus and I sat down and we were, we were trying to figure out what, what we want to do this year in 2019. <clears throat> Much of my heart was, you know, I don't want to have more of an inward focus than we do an outward focus. And that's, that's what this year is all about, having an outward focus. An outward focus. And you know what? We're having a homeless outreach at the end of the month. All of those cans back there with the pop top, save those. We'll use it for that. I just thought of that. We're not passing out can openers, so don't keep any of those. I'm telling you right now, the, James, the book of James is heavy. I'm telling you, it, it, is, it is severe. We have got to watch these things. But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. He resisteth the proud, but giveth grace. Grace, unmerited favor. Something we don't deserve, we get. By humbling ourselves. By humbling ourselves. God, I don't have all the answers. I don't know. I don't even know what all I need. But you do. But here's my surrendered heart. It's all yours. We need to get back to that. You young people. We need to get back to that spirit of, Lord, my life is yours. You tell me what to do. But let me say this. Whether you're a young, young person, young adult in here, or you're an amazing great, whatever the case may be, the reality is we all need to have that surrendered heart to God. What do you want for me? I don't want to be labeled as an adulterer to God. I want to be faithful to Him. I want to be faithful. You know, here, here, here's the reality. You can accuse me of anything you want. 
But there's one thing that I'm not going to allow people to take from me, and that is being faithful. Realizing here today that that, that's where it's at. (laughs) That's where it's at with God. When we stand before God, you know, it it is amazing to me uh, all the things that, that that we want to do and then we try to work for, um, you know, when we stand before God and what we're going to stand before God, before God for, uh, you know, it just, it just, it never ceases to amaze me uh, <coughs> what the fact that when we stand before God, what we're going to stand before him for and, and, and what we're going to give an account for. You know, do you realize that, that Noah had zero converts and is listed in the Hebrews 11? Zero. Jonah had a whole city of converts and is not listed as a Hall of Famer. Is that fair? God is interested in our faith, not our results. It is about our relationship with Him, not accomplishments that others applaud. When we stand before God, all of us want to hear it, but not all of us are going to hear it. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You've got to be faithful in order to be considered faithful. <laughs> if you're going to be called faithful, you've got to be faithful. You know, and that's what I'm called to do. I, I'm not called, I, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to keep my streak up. I had, we're two weeks into this year. I had somebody save last week. I've, had, uh, I've seen several save this week. I'm trying to keep my, my streak going of each week, trying to keep it going. Uh, but you know what? The reality is, I'm not going to stand before God and He's not going to judge me for if I had 10 saved or one saved in a year. That's, that's not where the judgment's coming. He's going to judge me according to my faithfulness. I'm going to stand before him and give an account, rather, for my faithfulness. And so are you. Are you faithful to God? Are you faithful to your spouse? Are you faithful to church? Are you faithful to, the, to your prayer life? Are you faithful to your walk with him? Are you faithful in all these things? Can I say this? That reading your Bible uh, is, not, is not specified as your walk with God. You can read your Bible and be a thousand miles away. Walking with God means you're communing with Him. You're spending time with Him. There's an interaction there. I want to encourage you with that tonight. Well, that's all we're going to have tonight. I'm going to pray, and we're going to jump back in next week. Thank you for listening to this audio sermon from Lighthouse Baptist Church. For more information about our ministry, go to lbccincy.com.